everybody! Welcome back to Anti-Monitor. In honor of the long-awaited release of Deadpool's solo flick, we decided to sit through the movie that took away his mouth. That's right, we actually watched X-Men Origins Wolverine. But hey, it can't all be so terrible, right? Batman v Superman Dawn of Waiting finally released a trailer worth watching. And speaking of epic showdowns, we watched the first episode of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, the new soap opera from Glee's Ryan Murphy. And we are nothing if not gluttons for punishment. Please join us on the pain train. Oh my gosh! Does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti Monitor from DoomRocket.com. Knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. Oh, that's right. It's anti-monitor time again. My name is Matt Birdman Fleming, and with me as always is Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com, and a guy who I like to consider the Liev Schreiber to my Hugh Jackman. And then I'm taller, probably. You are taller. Yeah. And uh, you have weird fingernails. That's the hell you say <laughs> well uh that's just a little uh preview of the remix so to speak mm. of what we're going to be talking about today mm-hmm. um but to uh harp on a subject that we've been beating into the ground because it's going to beat us into submission in a matter of weeks probably uh batman versus superman the dawn of the thing that's going to happen yeah uh finally released an exciting trailer yeah how how about that? That's how I started my day today, actually. I woke up, I got everything set up, ready to go for the Doom Rocket day-to-day, and then all of a sudden I'm hearing these rugglings of a new trailer. Didn't know that a new one was coming. Uh, Warner Brothers had released a new still image of Batman standing amid a bunch of rubble the day prior, but then as all of a sudden... He, as he is wont to do. You know, and then all of a sudden, boom, bing-bang, we got a new trailer. And not only that, but a trailer I could watch and yeah. watch it again. As a matter of fact, by the end of today, I will have watched it five successive times, which is, in fact, almost the accumulative of all the other trailers in terms of me watching them. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. If we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. Like, See, I rewatched uh, all of the previous trailers just to wrap my brain around what was coming mm. uh, because it just, I was like, no way, this isn't real. The last trailer, the one with the that starts with weird, like violins, it makes you think that it's gonna, I don't know, be some sort of weird art flick trailer, and then Ben Affleck shows up and oh, you must be new around here. Yeah, like I rewatched that trailer so many times just yeah. because I couldn't get my mind around uh, Jesse Eisenberg's hair. Yeah, and his like. Uh, weird you know what's funny if if we could talk about his hair for a second is that it as a superman fan i'm ashamed of myself because i shouldn't i should have known that if they were going to do a young lex luthor they were going to probably give him get you know red hair but they gave him long strength hair that like you see on lex luthor in books like uh uh birthright and uh i don't know whatever jeff johns did like lex luthor had orange hair he had long hair in certain incarnations and then they apply it to the movie now i'm just like that i'm so gobsmacked that the wigs looks just so awful 
that I fail to realize that it's it's canon. Well, I just hope that they end up with a, a wig scene the way that they did in Superman Returns. No, man. See, this is how it's going to go down. Uh, like, Luthor is not going to be happy because Wonder Woman shows up and saves the Justice Boy's bacon from Doomsday. Decides that, you know, hey, anything worth doing is worth doing yourself. Puts on, like, a very recognizable green and purple suited ar armor and tries to take him on. Things go haywire. The suit reacts, burns his hair off. That's how he gets bald. That's how I'm predicting it. All right. But um, to get back on the trailer for a second, yeah. Why did they start with that? If that was the first trailer, I'd be feeling a lot... I mean, I'd still have my reservations, but I'd be a little more warmed up to this thing. Now with barely, you know, what, five weeks away till this thing drops? Like, I'm, I'm just like, well, okay. It, it, it's become readily apparent to me that um, they were so far up their own ass over in Camp Donna Justice that Suicide Squad pretty much eclipsed them in terms of fan anticipation, and that comes from the awesome trailers. Two trailers mm -hmm. from Suicide Squad. Both of them awesome. Five trailers from Donna Justice, and only one of them finally is good, and they put some rock and roll in there, some guitar, some percussion. And some like, style. Some style, and they like edit it to like the music, which is always awesome. Donna Justice is just like, here's this miasma of uh, sequences that probably fit together in a movie, but in reality are very discordant and tonally, you know, lopsided. In this, in this trailer, it's like, this looks like a fucking bananas movie. Well, you have, so you have two schools of uh, movie trailers. Mm -hmm. You have uh, most modern movie trailers will show you the movie. Mm -hmm. By the time it's over, I saw a trailer for something while I was out of town and by the time it was over, I was like, oh, cool. I don't need to see that movie. Yeah. I just watched the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have what Suicide Squad did. You have what, uh, you know, several other uh, movies that kind of think outside the box. They put together just a montage of cool stuff that's going to happen. Sets of really cool music. Yeah, exactly. Now, the downside of that is every once in a while, you end up with missing bits. You see the movie and you're like, oh, but the thing from the trailer's not in there. That's fine. That's fine mm -hmm. because the trailer is supposed to sell you the movie. Yeah. If the movie can stand up on its own, then you don't need that one little snippet from the trailer that's just there to kind of, you know, well, if it, that's the case, it ends up on the cutting room floor. Right. If that's the case, you know what bit from the trailers I just want gone is that bit where Jesse Eisenberg asks Holly Hunter... Want to know the greatest line in the history of the world, Senator, or history of America, or whatever the fuck? That line's got to go because it's fucking stupid. That and, power can be, I don't know. What yeah. if, I don't know. It's like it, it's such a dumb question. You almost pray it's rhetorical, but you know there's an answer coming. It's like, oh, he's actually going to complete this frame. Mm -hmm. well, there we go. Uh, I'd like for them to take out that weird slow zoom mm -hmm. into the statue and then the light turning on. It's like false god mm -hmm. because that's yeah. just too serious yeah, for a Superman true. movie. Well, I mean, there isn't any sunshine in this movie that I've seen so far. Um, the only daytime shot is during that post-apocalyptic or whatever that Batman finds himself in. in when he's hugging a stranger's kid. No, well, that too, but then, like, there's that bit where he's, I don't know, Mark Miller's Red Sun Batman, he's got a trench coat and goggles on his head for some stupid reason. Oh, yeah, Desert yeah. Batman. Yeah, Desert Batman. In the basement cave. Yeah. 
But, uh, you know, so there's not a whole lot of brimming optimism attached to this Superman. And if this is what this movie's going to be, this is what this movie's going to be. But I certainly hope they, uh, they write that course because, man, Henry Cavill, history will not remember him fondly if that guy doesn't smile unironically once in these movies. Yeah, oh. You know, eventually he's going to be the man who cried uncle from all the abuse he's going to oh, take for ruining I Superman. Now, speaking of Superman, uh, O.J. Simpson is back in the public consciousness huh? now. That's a jarring transition. Well, you know, he was a uh, he was idolized. He as, was the juice. He was the juice. Yeah. He was the guy who you know, and you rattle off all these sports statistics that I don't really know. Um, but here we are, uh, twenty plus years after the man was acquitted of murdering his wife and her friend, uh, and then later. Uh, was found uh, responsible enough for her uh, for the two murders that he owed their families all, all the money uh, in, he could ever have. I remember history, but why are you regaling us with all this history, Bert? Because Ryan Murphy, the man behind American Horror Story 1 through 5, and Glee, has finally unveiled his magnum opus, American Crime Story. The People versus O.J. Simpson. This is a fascinating thing to me because American Horror Story is now an institution. It's, uh, you know, like you said, several, uh, a few seasons deep. Um, American Crime Story seems like a natural progression um, for, for these uh, showrunners, but this is their opening salvo. This is American Crime Story out of the gate. Yep. The People versus O.J. Simpson. This is, in, in, in plain, simple terms, a... Fierce opening salvo. Yeah, absolutely. The like, biggest, the biggest crime story, the biggest trial of the 20th century, and the catalyst for so much of what we have on television today. Mm -hmm. we, we wouldn't have True TV crime or the court court TV yeah. became True TV. Uh, you know, in conjunction with the TV show Cops, this created this sort of voyeuristic. Uh, examination of the lifestyles of the rich and potentially guilty <laughs> potentially guilty um we were kids we were during the oj simpson trial teenagers um pre almost well i was 13 yeah you were 13 well i remember being in school i remember the day the verdict was being read i was in study hall um and my jackass study hall teacher who was also a basketball coach um i had the the TV on TV was only for Channel One, mm -hmm. homeroom class uh, uh, show that they showed every morning. Um, you put it on to watch the O.J. Simpson verdict because he is a jackass. Oh, we had it. It was on in every single classroom in my high school. Now, isn't that a surreal thing? That, that like how pervasive this thing became to our culture that even before it was done, the, there was only one other major news story that was uh, televised televised district-wide in my school. And that was the Waco Climax. Are you serious? I was in wow. sixth grade, and I watched uh, a, you know, 80 people, men, women, and children, burned to death on television. Now, you want to talk about wholly inappropriate things to show a group of kids. I mean, the Waco thing, obviously, would be at the top of the list. But in terms of inappropriate, insofar as good taste is concerned, the O.J. Simpson trial is definitely a number two. Um, it was a stain. It was a blight. <laughs> Number two. It was a it was a blight on the American justice system. Then it remains as such today. 
the only reason this thing's getting made is because the sheer audacity, the sh the balls behind this show, will garner the the ratings that FX so pinheadedly covets. Oh, absolutely! Like, because Fargo ain't coming around till next year. Fargo's their big thing now. It's a fantastic show. They're killing it with TV, more or less, with a couple of uh, you know, dips along the way. But American Crime Story, like th if this thing fails. That's it for that franchise. That's it. It's like, if NCIS Miami blew it, <laughs> there wouldn't be an NCIS New Orleans, okay? So if American Crime Story succeeds, we'll probably get an American folk tale or something like that. American or, fairy stories. American fairy stories. Something, yeah, something sexier. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the core subject of the show is the racial tensions mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, not kind of, that definitely just surround and yeah. inflate the entire story. Uh, quick fun fact, not fun at all. Season two has already been uh, put into development. Season two of what? Of American Crime Story. What's going to be the crime? Hurricane Katrina. What, the people versus Hurricane Katrina? Is <laughs> I'm, not really sure. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Did we but, prosecute that hurricane? But, what happened? There? But what's going to happen is, is there's going to be an actor playing Kanye West next to, no. I'm going to guess, just they're going to get actual Mike Myers because no. he's not doing anything, to go to look in the camera and say, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Now, you're making all of this up, I'm not. I'm not making... For the sake of the podcast. I'm not making... This is, I, I made that part up, but I'm not making up the fact that, that's, that Hurricane Katrina is going to be season two. Are you serious? Oh, I'm serious. Oh, uh, now... Uh, I feel sick. I can't uh, forget I need to uh, program this whole series to record on the DVR because oh, I, them, I watched the first two episodes with my parents and it was so surreal because we talked about this before in 1994, my parents would go to work yeah. and before they went to work, they made sure that there was a VHS tape in the recorder with a timer set to record the day of the trial. Like every day they televised the whole thing. Mm -hmm. My parents videotaped it. Uh, it sounds creepier when you say it like that. They recorded it off TV. We would come home and we would watch the the day in the OJ trial. Yeah. And like, so now, 20, 20 odd years later, sitting there watching this weird, surreal, sappy well, fictionalization sappy. with Cuba Gooding Jr. as OJ. You know, I can forgive that. The, the It's the other parts of the cast that just don't need to be there. Like, um, we were talking in the kitchen earlier, uh, Robert Kardashian, I can get why that, like, he's a part of the show, and David Schwimmer's whatever, he's that dude who, like, he brings no drama or gravitas to the show. He's just really good at looking worried. We're looking worried, he walks into a room and he looks like he walked into the wrong one. Oh, is this, is this, hey guys, uh, is this the, uh, I'm sorry to bother you, everybody, is this the room I'm supposed to be in right now? Like, that's, that's the kind of guy that David Schwimmer is, but, uh, but Selma Blair. As as a Kardashian, Chris Kardashian, Chris yeah. Kardashian, like they got the makeup right. It's still Summer Blair under there. Like I don't see it, and not that not for anything else. Why is she in this movie? It's like she's at Nicole Brown's uh, funeral, and she's talking to some some other dame in a fancy. That was a uh, Paula, uh, Paula Kasabian or something. No, not Kasabian. Paula something. Not Paula Pound. Not Paula Poundstone. <laughs> that would be something if it were actually Paula Poundstone. It's like I'm making a cameo because I was something back in those days. Paula Barbieri. Yeah, that's the one. So they're talking, and then like they, 
that like that's when the artifice starts to fall apart really quickly. It's like when OJ and, and Robert are coming to the funeral, which is what happened. Uh, they they come in, but then there's that throwaway line where you know Paula turns to Chris and goes, "Here comes your ex," as if it weren't readily apparent that thanks to season after season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, that we didn't know that once upon a time there was a dad named Robert and a mom named Chris, and then hell spawns from the ground for the rest of our lives. Like, there are actually a lot of people that didn't know that Robert Kardashian in the involved in the OJ case was the paterfamilias of the Kardashians. Well, that's mostly because most of the kids that walk the earth these days weren't even born when this stuff was happening, which you could only envy that. Mm. No wonder they're so optimistic. Uh, but speaking of questionable casting, mm. John Travolta yeah. as Bob Shapiro. Okay, so Robert Shapiro... For those of you at home, for some reason or another, don't know who is uh, Robert Shapiro was a very famous, uh, uh, you know, any case will do defense attorney back in the '90s, who later became a TV celebrity uh, lawyer, who now you know shills for LegalZoom.com. So if you've put all those pieces together, you could see that attaching someone like John Travolta to a person like Robert Shapiro isn't that far fetched. It's fantastic. Because it's supposed to be. But in reality, John Travolta don't look anything like Robert Shapiro. They sure did contort his face to try to make it happen. How do you def- how would you how would you describe the 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 hairpiece that John Travolta's wearing in this in this particular scene? Uh, it looks plastic. It looks like uh, the fake plastic hair that you see on a Ken doll. Mm, yes. or, or something like that. It looks so fake. And how would you describe John Travolta's performance in The People vs. O.J. Simpson? Um, silly. Uh, it's very silly. It's very uh, over-the-top. He's but, in there, though. But, oh, he he commits. He is He's just like, that... I'm Bob Shapiro right now. Yeah. And he will not fail to mention that as a character. He talks about himself a lot. Oh, he lo- every time, like in the, in the pilot episode, he mentions himself by name, whether he's answering a phone, like, uh, okay, so he's at dinner, and he's uh, talking to a bunch of people, and he's talking about a case, a case that he was in. And oh, it, he's talking about Marlin. I mean, it's Marlin. And, and then the, um, uh, which, by the way, Robert Shamiro doesn't sound anything like this at all. He, he sounds a little bit like Bernie Sanders, a little bit. LegalZoom.com, that's his voice. But anyway, so This like, is the John Travolta as, well, sorry, I was talking to Marlin. So the maitre d' comes to the table and says, excuse me, Mr. Shapiro? And he goes, yes. And he goes, uh, I believe you have a phone call. An emergency phone call. Well, I better go answer this. And he walks rather casually. Uh, remember, this is John Travolta, former action star John Travolta, showing his urgency in this scene. Action star, that's funny. And ambles over to the telephone, picks it up and goes, oh, this is Robert Shapiro? And I'm like, yeah, they know. You called, they called you. When you pick up the phone, it's assumed that you... There's no vindictive waiter at this restaurant who's like, who the fuck called Robert Shapiro it's while he jerky was eating... Boys. Who who is this, sir? You know that wasn't oh god, that wasn't gonna happen. Like it's just little lines <laughs> like that that are driving me out of mind. This picks up the phone. It's a Baba Booey, Baba Booey. Yeah. Oh uh, yes, this is uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. I mean O.J. Simpson. What a buffoon. Uh, also, I don't know if you've caught it yet, but uh, Nathan Lane as F. Lee yeah. Bailey. Yeah, that's happening. That's... He wasn't in the pilot. I haven't watched the second episode. Oh well, I definitely urge you. It's happening. I'm yeah. watching. I'm. I'm... I'm going to stick it through. I'm going to watch it. This is definitely uh, event 
television. It as is. god-awful as it is, I just can't look away, just like the original. So when you, when you think about popular culture and how it just kind of eats itself mm -hmm. and regurgitates itself over and over again over the course of many years, as you get older, is it just me or is it happening more quickly? Like something happens, then the movie comes out. How quickly did a 9-11 movie come out? We got two of them within a year of each other. Yep. The O.J. Simpson trial. Admittedly, a lot of time has passed. Yep. But O.J. Simpson has only now, in the last five, six years, escaped the public eye. That's right. Because they locked him so deep into the chasms of uh, prison that we will never see him see the light of day again. That's right. There's satisfaction that comes with that. He's a, he's a monster. However, now that it is now set aside and we can look away from it, here it comes again. And now we've got O.J. Simpson back into the zeitgeist, and I don't want him back. Watching the show almost makes it guarantee that he will be with us for many years to come. That's right. I feel a pang of guilt every time I watch this show, and yet I can't look away. And yet. What does that say about me as a person, aside from the fact that I'm a jackhole? Oh, no. What does that say about our society, our culture? Because... You, because you are indicative of the whole. And I mean that I'm in both blood. ways. I, I bloviate. I speak truisms when really I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're not to something there, Bert. You know, it's just, it's in our uh, modern American nature to be consumed with this gossip and the scandal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you're right. Things over the course of time just keep consuming themselves over and over again until you end up with something that is more farce than actual uh, representation of what it's supposed to be. And isn't that a hell of a thing? Because if you want to talk about farce, there was never a bigger farce than the O.J. Simpson trial. I think that we should cut a deal. I ain't trying to be respectful. I'm trying to win. I deserve to get hurt. Well, you know, uh, we watched something that was rather farcical uh, upon itself today. Mm -hmm. As uh, as I want to try to make a cute little segue. That's much better than the last one. Well, you know, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine is such a shadow of the three movies that came before it. I'm even counting in X3. Well, let's be objective for a second. If we were to make a list, okay, if we lived back in 2008 when Wolverine came out mm -hmm. and made a list, top to bottom, our favorite X-Men movies in sequential order, it would go like this. X2, X-Men, X3, X-Men Origins, Wolverine. That's right. Remember, this was, at one point, this was the final, stal uh, the final salvo of... The X-Men movie. They were trying to spin off into other franchises. There were the uh, plans to do the X-Men Origins Magneto. Mm -hmm. That became uh, first class. Um, X-Men Origins Wolverine was the first attempt to do this, and it was a sad one, to say the least. Directed by Gavin Hood. Does that name sound familiar to you, Bert? Where do I know that name from? Gavin Hood. This was his first feature film. You're not talking about Robin Hood. No. Okay. His first feature film, X-Men Origins Wolverine, and yet somehow he moved on beyond this and salvaged himself, not considerably, 
but made a, I think, a, a better piece of uh, sci-fi fantasy, uh, the adaptation of Ender's Game, which uh, I ended, that was one of the first reviews I ever wrote for Dream Rocket and ended up enjoying quite a bit. And I am never going to watch it because if I want to see Harrison Ford uh, drunkenly mumble, I'll watch the Golden Globes or the Oscars or, or the new Star or Wars, Star Wars the, the Farts Awaken. <laughs> that, that's, so you'll watch all that, but you won't watch the new Ender's Game. I, mm, ah. I, I never read the book, so... I have it. You can read it. Or uh, you do the audio tapes. They got plenty of those. That's true. Uh, but getting back to it. So Gavin yeah. Hood, uh, what, else, what else does he direct? Uh, oh, let's see. Um, let's consult my handy device here. Wake me when it's over. The thing is about Gavin Hood is that those are the only two movies I am... Totally aware he made. Beyond that, yeah, no. He's got a, a movie that came out last year called Eye in the Sky that apparently happened. He directed Sotsi, that or uh, I remember that being a thing back what? in two thousand five. It was like it was a it was a festival darling. Mm. Um, it it was based on a book. It it, it dealt um, with uh, things a, 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 a <laughs> South African poet of some name i don't recall but um it did some things it got him his x-men gig which is kind of just hollywood you know uh go-to business these days is that you go to the festivals you find someone who makes a big splash on the cheap and then throw them at your big budget dumbass superhero picture mm -hmm. well he made origins wolverine and the, it, the movie itself is terrible awful but it is not without certain moments that do stick like the opening sequence, perhaps. Did you say stick or stink? Yeah, I said stink. Okay. Yeah, the opening sequence Where is... they're going through all the wars that are conspicuously not Canadian. <laughs> um, because Wolverine and his brother, Sabretooth, are Canadian. Yeah. But they're fighting all the American wars for some in inexplicable reason. Country needs you. I'm Canadian. But those all worked really well. Because that's where the wars are happening. Right. So that's where they have to go. Yeah, because Canada was really heavy in Vietnam. Anyway, uh, the funny part about that opening sequence is it reminded me of another really awesome opening sequence to an otherwise shit film, Watchmen, where Snyder uh, created uh, an in uh, a contextual uh, uh, pastiche mm -hmm. of all the events that uh, changed the lives for better or worse of these heroes in Watchmen. It was a gorgeous sequence set to uh, uh, Bob Dylan's The Times They Are a Change It. Gorgeous thing to do. Too bad it didn't stand up to the rest of the movie. Same thing, too, with this sequence. It's that you see Hugh Jackman, who at this point, it, this is now his fourth outing as Wolverine. And you like him. We like Wolverine. We like Hugh Jackman. That's why they made him the focal point of everything X-Men up until much, first yeah. class. They even squeezed him into first class. For like 30 seconds he was in there. They even made that happen. So he's officially been in all the X movies ever. But um, they replaced Tyler Mayne wisely with Lee F. Schreiber, an infinitely better actor. I love Lee F. Schreiber. I loved him back when he was cotton weary in the Scream films. I'm a big fan of his portrayal of Orson Welles in the HBO film Arcade 281. And that's also a fine one. I'm not tremendously deep into Roy Donovan. I hear it's... Uh, uh, I hear it's a show. It's a show. I caught the pilot. It didn't grab me. I didn't move on. They're in season three now, so maybe if I break a bone or something and I have to get laid up, maybe I'll check it out. But 
Um, Leah Schreiber, Hugh Jackman, looking rather awesome as Sabretooth and Wolverine, fighting their way through time and war. Yeah. It's a, it's a gripping sequence. And then it ends. And then the film begins. Now, we actually clocked the first act. How, how long was that first act, Bertie? Uh, over 50 minutes. 52 we, minutes. 52 exact. minutes, and the first act was still going. Mm-hmm. They hadn't quite... So it was over 52 minutes. And what happens... Okay. So First of all, I wanted to get uh, to touch on that opening sequence. Go for it. The biggest takeaway from that opening sequence for me was Sabretooth, or Victor, as he's called throughout the film, mm-hmm. has a serious murder boner. Yeah. He is established as... A legitimate rapist in this opening sequence. Yeah, he's a monster. He and it just seems like he keeps perpetuating this like I gotta go kill, I gotta go kill, mm-hmm. I gotta go kill, because it gets his rocks off. Yeah. And Logan's been with him every step of the way. And Jimmy. Jimmy, excuse me. Jimmy. <laughs> I love Leah Trevor's voice in this thing. Hey Jimmy. How you feeling, Jimmy? Jimmy but, My name's not Jimmy anymore, it's Logan. Yeah. I go by Logan these days. <laughs> hey guys, Jimmy goes by Logan. Don't call him, call him Logan now. Don't call him Jimmy. That would be really insulting. But anyway. uh, I can still call Jimmy because he's my brother. brother. Remember, <laughs> my brother. By the way, let's talk about that for a second. Okay, so you remember like the the uh, the first first sequence, <laughs> the one where he's a kid. Yep. This isn't like they did everything short, but show Logan in the womb, <laughs> which kind of might have. <laughs> Like, they, all those X movies used to start with, like, two particles colliding yeah. and then the genome is shown. Like, they could have just showed a sperm, like, in Luke's talking. <laughs> a sperm with claws. <laughs> with claws. It pokes its way into the <laughs> tank. Egg, and then you have Logan Moore. X-Men Origins, Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> the egg's and got then, an X on it. Yeah. yeah okay. oh, and then, you know, and then they go to, oh, it's a shame that you're always sick, kid. Oh, man, you're always sick. Oh, I'm a little sick boy. <laughs> but, okay, so, like, the big reveal. Um, the, all of this is cribbed, by the way, from the, the book Origin yeah. by Paul Jenkins, illustrated by Joe Quesada. Fantastic book. Um, nobody really wanted Wolverine's origin to be revealed. I grew up in a time where I had no fucking clue who Wolverine actually was, and I didn't want to know. Um, as long, and for... As long as he had been a character up to a certain point until 2000, he did not have an origin story. That was what made him so fucking cool. He was the mystery man of the X-Men. But then... They had to remove the mystery. Marvel went bankrupt and they needed to make a ton of cash, so here comes origin. Easy money. I bought all those books. Everyone had them. Are you kidding me? It was like the biggest thing since the death of Superman. But um, So we, we get to delve deep into Logan now we know as James Logan. Um, James. Oh, that totally, Logan's not his last name. Yeah, he's got a... James Hewitt. James Hewitt, that's right, thank you very much. Um, and so we, we go back into his genesis as a, as a son to a father who turns out not to be his father. His father is Victor Creed's, his, his friend's, uh, uh, father, that's his dad. But in the film, his fake dad, they cast a dude that looked exactly (laughs) like... Hugh Jackman, like they did that on purpose. If they could have, if they could have spent some of the money that they didn't spend elsewhere, that the money that they spent on making uh, Patrick Stewart not look any younger than he already looks, but if they had just made Hugh Jackman, you know, CGI like motion captured his face on a different dude, mm-hmm. or even if it was just 
Hugh Jackman in a different costume, mm-hmm. it would have not quite been as uncanny. It it was really baffling to me because the dude they got to play, Logan's father. Fake not, dad. Fake dad was not terrible. The dude who played real bad, Sabretooth dad, was fucking awful. That scene. And that reveal. Son. God, so garbage. Hot garbage. But when you first watch the movie and like they like the creeds are trying to tell James that he's you know, there's their family. Like, part of you wants to believe that it's false because how could it be? His he looks obvious. We know what Logan grows up to look like. <laughs> That's his dad. Genetically, that is his father. Like, how could you? How could these? How could this be true? But it is true. And it feels like they time traveled back to the 1800s <laughs> to the first forefather of Hugh yeah. Jackman. Yeah, and hey, Bill and Ted threw him in the. Uh, the phone booth and brought him to the set and they're like hey we get this guy he's Hugh Jackman's actual great grandfather mm-hmm. and he's just like good night mate oh, <laughs> my name's Humphrey Jackman Humphrey Jackman <laughs> I'm here for this picture moving thing that you got but that obviously did not occur but the um, the other thing that that's what you think that's what I hope I know but the thing that really bugs me the most about Wolverine aside from Wade Wilson and we'll get to him in a second is that the whole concept of making Sabretooth the heavy in the film is that you're supposed to establish pathos within the Wolverine. Like you're supposed to learn more about him as a, as a human being, why he's got so much rage inside of him. But they pretty much montage over the most interesting parts at the beginning of the film, and then the Wolverine or the Sabretooth becomes like a a, a, a literal lapdog to General William Stryker, played by Danny Houston. My name is Major William Stryker. You've been charged with killing a senior officer. Is that correct? Apparently we have some issues with authority. Just keep a lid on it. Sir. Now Danny Houston, it's revealed, is the major villain of this film. Like, he's the architect, as, as Christoph Waltz put it in Spectre, the architect of all your pain. Like, that's the dude who makes Wolverine's life misery. But it should be Sabretooth, because in the comic book, Sabretooth was the dude who fucked Logan so many times over in so many profound ways that, like, when you see them in a room together, you know shit's going down. Even in the X-Men cartoon back in the 90s, they got that right. Like, there's this moment in, like, the third episode, I think, they got Sabretooth locked up outside the danger room, and he's all pointing like this, and Wolverine finds out that he's in there, and he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, well, hello, Wolverine. And, and it's like, you know this guy's like, yeah. He wasted a couple of friends of mine. It's like, just like I'm gonna waste you. And like he pops his claws and it's just like this really ferocious, ugly, awesome thing because that's what Wolverine and Sabretooth are. Mortal enemies. That's right. They become buddies by the end. They have a... They're kind of like, this isn't over. Nobody kills you but me. Thanks for saving me. Back to back. Yeah. Fighting against the Deadpool guy. <laughs> All right, let's do that old World War II move we had. Butt to butt. Butt to butt. And like, and then they like they don't shake hands so much as they just agree to leave each other alone for a minute. No, they don't shake hands because they chop up each other's palms with their claws. Pretty much. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like they they so, made a they, they made a movie to see how many mutants they could actually squeeze into this thing. Just cram them in. And the answer is so many. And uh, there's such a lack of motivation on everybody's part. Mm-hmm. Sabretooth's motivation. I'm mad at my brother because he dumped me. And then uh, Wolverine's motivation to leave the life of mass murder. Uh, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go to Canada and find a girlfriend. He went to the Rockies. 
Yeah, he oh, went to right. the Canadian Rockies. Yeah, was it the Canadian? It's Canadian Rockies. Oh, I thought it was like in Colorado. No, the Rockies go all the way up. And he found that. himself found himself a girlfriend, mm-hmm. and then uh, started his own business. Yeah. Log- Logan's logging. <laughs> Logan's logging. He's like he's like I gotta come up with a new name, and he looks over. There's a sign. It's like logging. He goes logging. <laughs> logging. Kenny Logans. No, that's not good enough. Logan. Yeah. That's just so dumb. He gets himself a a babe of a girlfriend. They shack up on a, uh, a, a beautiful cabin. Yeah. Overlooking a cliff, overlooking you know that, the uh, Canadian Rockies. It's that part of the Canadian Rockies where it's totally fine to just take your shirt off and you're not going to freeze. Mm-hmm. Well, he does. I mean, he doesn't really. But the the other part is that if this is his origin, then this movie ostensibly is the part of the origin that doesn't get told straight away. It's the the story of how he loses his memory and is left to just be roam the countryside, getting into fistfights. Right. Thing. But in the comics, I, I hate being one of these guys. He's, but in the comics, you know, he, he, after Weapon X, he was stuck out in the Arctic, like the, the Canadian tundra, to survive on his own as an, a fierce, feral animal. You know, he, 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 he killed creatures to survive. He, he pretty much was Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, oh. except infinitely cooler. You know, that was him for God knows how long. And that was the best part of not knowing about Wolverine's origin. We just knew some very great things. We knew he was in the Weapon X program. We knew his memory was wiped. We knew that he survived on his own out in the wilderness. That's why he's so feral. You know, he has a berserker rage where he's not in control of himself and he just starts killing people left and right. Those are the things we know. But in X-Men Origins Wolverine, they make him so market-friendly. Like, they give him a bitchin' motorcycle and they give him a fucking bullshit leather jacket. The Browning... Yellow costume that he has that's the most famous version of his costume. Like, they make him look like every boy would want him to look. Yeah. He's, he, you know, he's a perfect son to his uh, temporarily adopted parents. Mm-hmm. He's a good boyfriend who mm-hmm. has a solid job with an axe and a chainsaw. Yeah. And, you know, the boys see him coming to the truck to go to the forest. They're like, oh, hey, hey look, you got a girlfriend. <laughs> and it's so Dumb. And this that, is like 30 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just so much of this, like him and his happy life. I think pretty much every single X-Men movie, the Wolverine and X-Men Origins Wolverine included, mm-hmm. and Days of Future Past, are pretty much, they could be boiled down to one plot point. Wolverine just wants to be left alone. He's Billy Jack, pretty much. He's a guy in denim walking around from town to town, kicking ass, taking names, kissing the girl, leaving the game. But he's nowhere near as cool somehow. Well, Wolverine is somehow less cool than Billy Jack. And I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And they made several movies of it. We, re- we went and saw the Wolverine together. Yes, we did. And that is patently an infinite better, uh, infinitely better film yeah. than Origins. And it wasn't hard to do. It wasn't a, a quantum leap from there either. Here's my question. In all of the X-Men comics that you've read, mm. how many girlfriends has Wolverine had? Well, I mean, how, how many is he shacked up with, or how many... Uh, no, girlfriends. Uh, uh, three. How many... Okay, so that's... So he's... In the movies, mm. he has the slightly unrequited, requited thing with Jean Grey, mm-hmm. uh, trying to steal Scott Summers' lady. He's got Medico. And the Wolverine. Yep, that's right. Uh, his Japanese girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the Native American... With the killer legs and the Origins. Killer, uh, 
and the killer, you know, telepathy. Oops, mm-hmm. spoiler. Yeah. She's a mutant, too. Uh, well, you kind of see that coming, because Gavin Hood lays it on. To the Very moment thick. Where, like, those two jackasses on the bridge were parking, parking them in, and she goes, would you mind just getting in your car and letting us go? And she touches his hand, and the camera's on her, on and hand. makes it obvious, because it's framed in such a way that when we see the reveal later on, we go, oh, remember when that happened? This movie is so obvious. Yeah. You know, they have that entire, uh, <laughs> the origin of the origin, mm-hmm. where... Origin of the origin. The origin of the origin. Before we get to the origin, uh, and then before we get to the part where we find out where he came from, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, they're on the uh, Blood Diamond mission to find the adamantium, and, yeah. you know, so you establish, like, oh, the old team. You got a guy who's going to become Bob, and you got Will I Am in a cowboy hat yeah, that no. he brought with him, and he's just like, hey, yo, uh, Gavin, it's cool if I wear this cowboy hat. You're like, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Happy to have you. Make sure to submit a song for the soundtrack. Here's my question. Do you think every time Gavin Hood was directing a scene with Will I Am, the first thing oh. he said was, all right, let's get it started. That's uh, what I imagine. I could only... I can only imagine, but but yeah. So they so they have to establish this pre uh, history uh, where they're hunting for the animantium, and it's like, oh, this is my old team. Uh, we better. They cover every bit of the minutia of Wolverine in this movie, with the exception of the points that matter the most. Yep. Yeah. Like adamantium, check. Jacket, check. Claws. Uh, Cigar. Yeah. You know all this bullshit. Let's talk about the claws for a second. You t- you're talking about the cartoon claws? Now, remember that movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I love it. I own it on DVD. Now, you remember that scene, Eddie Valiant pours his hooch out on the pavement. He's not drinking no more. He's going to go into Toontown. He's going to get Roger the hell out of there. That's and right. He, and he gets his gun out. That gun, that animated gun, is made of the same adamantium as the claws on Wolverine in this movie. That's true. They are markedly larger than they are in other films. They are almost cartoonishly, like, early 90s large. Like, Mark Silvestri large. Like, he looks like fucking, like, Lady Deathstrike's fingers were locked off and taped to the back of his hands. Like, that's what, that's how bad they Very were. precariously taped. Oh, my God. Uh, I wrote something down. More like CGI, I don't think so. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so bad. The CGI in this movie is the worst CGI of any superhero movie in the last 20 years. I mean, it's up there. I've definitely seen worse CGI, but it's it's stupid. It Like, they employ it really poorly. Like, um, for instance, there's the final sequence that's just like <laughs> Lord of the Rings. It's like... Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the color schemes are the same. It's like orange, like, apocalyptic skies. And, like, crumbling giant towers. Oh, and then Gambit let's... pops out of nowhere and blows it all away. And it's just like this big back. Because let's not, for, let's, let's not fail to mention the almost climactic scene, the big battle, is between Wolverine and a very poorly executed Deadpool, who... Uh, as I said earlier, someone was just like, I think we should give him all the powers. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Sabretooth shows up to go butt to butt to fight him mm-hmm. uh, on top of a cooling tower at Three Mile Island's nuclear facility. Now let's... I couldn't make that up. Let's talk about Deadpool for a second. I'm going to have... This is confession time. Okay. Confession time for Jared. 
I'm not really a fan of the X-Men. Right. I don't particularly like the lore. I think it's way too complicated and convoluted and really ridiculous, even by comic book standards. The characters are inherently unlikable. They're always frustrated. And for some inexplicable reason, the, the, the series has to continuously come up with a reason why the world is bigoted against them. When characters like Thor and, and uh, Hercules and She-Hulk are running around in broad daylight and being lauded by the public, and yet the mutants are the ones that are hated and feared. Like, I get, back in the 60s, that it was a parable of its time, and it worked, and it was lyrical and wonderful, but it never moved on beyond that. It stayed on that tag for 40 years, and we've gotten some really great characters out of it, Wolverine being one of them. But in, at the end of the day, I think I don't hate a mutant more than I hate Wade Wilson. Deadpool might be my least favorite comic book character, period. Wow. And I'm about to go see his movie in a couple hours and write a review about it, and I'm going to work overtime to remove my prejudice from my objective reasoning. But seriously, back in 2008 when they announced that Ryan Reynolds, Van Wilder, at that point, was going to be Wade, uh, Wade Wilson, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Totally get it. Going to hate it even more now. And it didn't help. Did it? That's funny, Wade. I think you confuse me with someone who gives a shit. Granted, it's, it's probably not as intimidating as having a gun or bone claws or the fingernails of a bag lady. This is the biggest problem, is everybody kind of hyped up Ryan Reynolds as Wade Wilson as like, oh, this is a perfect, perfect symbiosis of actor and character. Mm. And he was fighting since like 2003 to make a Deadpool movie. He wanted to be Deadpool. Yeah. And it makes sense. Deadpool is that kind of character that uh, angsty teens can attach themselves yeah, to. Yeah, because he swears and because he's a merc with a mouth. And he makes poo-poo jokes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan just because I like the silly, you know, off-the-wall kind of uh, unconventional stuff. Mm -hmm. But he, Ryan Reynolds isn't funny as Deadpool in X-Men Origins because the character is written so sparsely and so poorly. He's yeah. supposed to be funny. He tells no jokes. The funniest thing he says is, okay, people are dead. Yeah, and very that's laconic. Um, the... The major problem with this film isn't the direction, it's the script. The script is atrocious. It's written, It's a superhero movie written by a couple of people with no fucking idea what they're dealing with. They read a few comics, applied some ideas, and came up with the most generic plot that they could attach to this film. Well, uh, in fairness, uh, <laughs> you know who wrote this originally, the original script. David Benioff. Oh. He uh, of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yes. Uh, David Benioff wrote uh, what was supposed to be a dark Wolverine story. It would have been something. And then uh, Skip Woods came in huh, and Skip. punched it up. You know, anytime, anytime someone who professionally goes by the name Skip... You're in for some shit. Yeah, you're going to get something that just doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't cut the mustard. No. And that's what this movie is. is it's over-the-top silliness that 
takes itself very seriously mm -hmm. while trying to be a standalone, like family friendly. Yeah, I don't know. Like, kind of like why is Will I Am in this movie other than to get kids into the theater? Whatever dipshit kids actually like the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, there was something else too that was so uh, of the moment. So like uh, Taylor Kitsch, Taylor as Kitsch Gambit. That's one of them. Of the fucking things to put in anything. Taylor Kitsch, you don't put in a movie, people. They didn't know that then. Oh, come on. Friday Night Lights had just ended. All right? This, it was a it was a phenomenon. People loved it. But then, all of a sudden, they were like, we're going to take the good-looking guy, and we're going to put him on all the movies. And we hit the nadir of that experiment, that social experiment, with True Detective Season 2. X-Men Origins Wolverine is but one of many nails in the coffin of Taylor Kitsch's career. True. The kid can't act, and do not give him a Creole accent either, because it only makes matters worse. And it won't stick. They shoved Gambit so hard into this movie that you could see the, the, the frame crack apart in front of you. Like, the, the, they tried to stuff so many mutants in it, they forgot they weren't supposed to put certain mutants in there. <laughs> Emma Frost is in this movie, and then Brian Singer had to go on the record and say that that's not uh, that, that's not Emma Frost. That's a girl named Emma that turns into diamonds. But that's, that's Emma. Not, that, that's a different Emma. Her name's Emma Lost. <laughs> well, she got lost. That's right. Ended up in that case. Yeah. So like, it's a movie that was so poorly planned. They they they, but to be fair, they didn't know what they were going to be doing. The next film that came out was X Men. Uh, first class so like they knew after first class was a hit that they now had the new four plan laid out but they had just started a Hugh Jackman solo franchise which was probably what was promised them but thank god that somebody at Fox and I bet you I know his name Mark Miller Fox's go-to comic book guru who wrote a really fantastic Wolverine story called Enemy of the State somehow convinced the brass to make the Wolverine based on the Chris Benmont and Frank Miller's story. Uh, as opposed to uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is haphazardly based on a couple of things and then uh, just kind of a bunch of, you cut up a bunch of comic book pages and throw it in the air. It reminds me of, um, it reminds me of those old New Line Cinema movies that were made in the early 90s, the action ones, the fantasy action ones. Sure. Like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Mortal Kombat. It's got a plot akin to those where it's like, Bad guys just pulling together all the all the powers to put into one entity, pulling together. Go, oh, we'll call him Deadpool. You know, the pool. And it's like, fuck you guys. You put no thought into this whatsoever, did you? Did you? You thought this was clever. Look at me when I'm talking to you, damn it. Look at me as I watch the light leave your eyes. Like, how could you make a movie like this? I have expected that climactic battle to be uh, set to, you know, like a, the, whatever the newest Limp Bizkit song was for the time. Yeah. You know, because it has that feeling. It has that, like, uh, you this, know, this movie is the rap rock of the X-Men franchise. It really is. You know that bit where that guy named Zero has got the two guns? Oh, you mean <laughs> the, the X-Men whose power is guns. Guns, yeah. That's his, that's his code name, guns. And he, like, he's jumping over fences and just blasting people away. He changes his clip as he tosses guns into the air. You could have put a skateboard underneath him, <laughs> some shades on his head, and then somebody with the guitar going, Bram! And th during that whole sequence, and it would not have looked askew. Oh man, it just reminds me of the you know fellow kids meme the uh, from Thirty Rock, mm -hmm. Steve Buscemi. Hello, how do you do, fellow kids? Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> this is what kids like. If <laughs> if, if X Men Three, uh, the Last Stand, is the Nickelback mm -hmm. to the X Men franchise, then this is the Limp Biscuit, or even like a you know a, a 
second or third tier rap rock band. Uh, so let's talk about our favorite X-Men movie. Let's, oh. let's, let's share. We've been shitting on this movie for a good part of yeah, an We could shit on it for another hour. I have the energy, but I got to save it for Deadpool. Um, what is your favorite X-Men film? Uh, that would absolutely have to be X2. Mm. Uh, the second, appropriately, mm. uh, of the uh, Brian Singer era. Of course, uh, Brian Singer was uh, replaced by uh, a big fat uh, windbag for X3. Sure. Um, but and it sucks because he just like caught his stride. X-Men, the first movie, it's fun. It was fun for the time. Yeah. It was the first new superhero movie that was like, oh, whoa, okay, we can do this. Uh, you know, it's shaky. It's uh, a pretty uh, weak. But X2, you get, and you get the promise of Phoenix at the end. Yeah. You oh, know? God, they did not see that through. Oh, but, you But know, the I, promise of it, that stinger, that was the stinger heard around the world. Everyone flipped their shit. I remember very vividly watching uh, the Wednesday before it came out mm-hmm. in Showcase Cinemas <laughs> after midnight. I saw it too. And when that happened, all us nerds just lost it. it. Just lost it. Yeah. And um, you, you were right to do it because it was insane. Literally at this point, after X-Men 2 came out, Brian Singer could have done no wrong. The man had a, tr- a gorgeous track record at this point. Usual suspects. At Pupil. X-Men. X-2. Come on, X Men Three is going to rule, and then, well, we know between this podcast and the Superman Returns podcast, that's right. Knows. Uh, what about you, Jared? What is your favorite X movie? Well, I am inclined to agree with you that X Two is the superior X Men film of them all. However, as a indulgence of something that I could watch again and again, and a film that actually holds a special place in my heart in the X Men franchise. Days of Future Past, I could watch that movie a dozen times. It's fun. It's stupid. It also happens to be the first movie I ever saw with one Molly Jane Kramer. It was our first date. Mm. We sat. We both enjoyed it. We both recognized its flaws. We discussed it very seriously afterwards. We enjoyed it, and it's been havoc ever since. I was there. Completely and utterly miserable. You were there. I was there. Otter was there, too, actually. I I saw the Genesis. Yeah, that's right. Otter and I were... uh, canoodling, yeah. just sitting there and yeah. making fun of you guys. Um, uh, but uh, Days of Future Past works for me for a couple of reasons. Chief amongst them, Michael Fassbender's Magneto. I love First uh, first Class in a myriad of ways. Kevin Bacon wearing that ridiculous helmet. Michael Fassbender as Magneto. But in Origins, you get to see Michael Fassbender be Michael Fassbender for a second. A quick scene happens very quickly. But they're on the plane. Magneto's like, it's been a lot of years trying to take you down, Bob. Magneto just flips out, puts Logan up against the, the, the uh, fuselage and has a Oscar moment. He starts screaming, he's like, we were supposed to protect them! You know, and you're like, fuck, this is Magneto. Because in that sequence in first class when Magneto takes on those two shithead, you know, former Nazis in the, in the Cuban little uh, yeah, Havana thing, and he stabs the dude in the hand and shoots the other one with the mag- magnetic powers. You got glimmers of it. Yeah. But in Days of Future Past, you saw Fassbender be Magneto. And now it appears in Apocalypse, he's going to be Apocalypse's stooge. Mm-hmm. 
But that's a conversation we can have for another day. That's true. Uh, one of my favorite things about X-Men First Class is they finally found a role for January Jones where she could use her uh, cold, uh, lifeless gaze <laughs> outside of Betty Draper. But what is she? Oh, she's the White Queen. Oh, it's not Ice Queen? No, it's, it's the White Queen. <laughs> Yeah, well, that just about wraps us, uh, wraps us up here. Uh, closer to uh, X-Men Apocalypse, maybe we'll take a look back at uh, the, uh, the nickelback of the franchise. It's going to be last stand. Um, make sure you uh, subscribe to uh, this podcast on iTunes. Make rate sure us, you're rating us, by the way. No rate us, review me. us, um, follow us on uh, Twitter, at DoomRocket underscore. Uh, my friend across from me is at Jared Jones underscore. He's got to think of the underscores. Uh, I'm at Bird Money. Uh, visit DoomRocket.com every day for all of your uh, geeky news and uh, updates and uh, reviews. We've got a lot of TV shows coming down the line. And um, in the meantime, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm Birdman. That's Jared. And we're the best of what we do. And they need some really big rings. They need some really nice things. Better be coming with no strings. Better be coming with no strings. We need some really nice things. We need some really big rings. I got a really big team. I got a really big team. They need some really big rings. They need some really nice things. Better be coming with no strings. Better be coming with no strings. We need some really nice things. We need some really big rings. I got a really big team, man. What a time. To be alive, you and yours, versus me and mine. Are we talking teams? Are we talking teams? Are you switching sides? Wanna come with me?